0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job Podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money. With your host,
1: Pete McKaitis.
0: Well, hello again. You know, you must be very, very smart joining us for episode 67 here and I've got good news for you. My next guest, Joanna Jast, has some pro tips in terms of getting even smarter. She's got some great practices associated with boosting your brain's performance. So if you got to learn some things, cut through that mental clutter, then uh, this is the guest for you. So you're going to learn one, the optimal environment type surroundings for optimal productivity, two, quick hacks for improving your focus, and three, how our brains are wired to absorb information. So if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to Items mentioned here, you'll find them over at awesomeatyourjob.com dot com slash ep six seven. However. If you would like those sorts of takeaways faster in an email that you can read in under two minutes, go ahead and sign up for the gold nugget email list while you're over there at awesomeatyourjob.com to hear these pro tips from Joanna and the 66 guests that came before her and the many to follow. So here's a quick bit about Joanna. Joanna Jast is the author of Laser Sharp Focus and a top mental performance seeker. She uses her medical background and low tolerance for fluff to find proven ways of accelerating learning and personal growth. Her mission is to help people achieve professional and educational success faster. You can find her blog over at shapeshiftersclub.com slash blog. Here's Joanna. Joanna, thanks so much for being here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me, Pete.
0: Well, I think we have so much fun stuff to dig into. And so I'd like to maybe, if you could open us up by sharing. Your, Your website's called the Shapeshifters Club. That's a fun, intriguing name. What does it mean? Where did it come from?
1: So the idea was really born as it usually is. I was in the middle of thinking myself, what do I do with my life? In my 40s, um, the idea was born a few years ago. So I got to a point you can call a midlife crisis. And I was sort of thinking, what do I do? What do I do with, uh, with my professional life? I've got another 40 years and I wanted to become somebody else professionally but because I'm quite used to doing things quickly and once you get to a certain point in your life and in your career, you're really used to doing things quickly and it's hard to start from scratch. So I thought wouldn't it be lovely if I could find ways of actually speeding up learning, speeding up that change process, speeding up that adaptation phase where I could really quickly arrive to the top of my game, to be at the top of my game or change games, but also become become really, really good at what I'm doing, the new stuff in a really quick way. So this was what I thought first of all for myself and I thought, well, doesn't seem to be that much on offer for people like me. So people mid-life, mid-career who want or need for whatever reason are at a point where they want to change careers, want to change professions, but really need to do it quickly. And that's how the, the idea of Shapeshifters Club was born, to help people speed up the learning, speed up that process of change and adaptation to new career, new profession, new industry.
0: Well, that is a fun name and concept that makes sense here. So, and I'm thinking like when it comes to speeding up your learning, you know, that has implications in all sorts of things, whether you're learning because you're studying for an exam, whether it's the MCATs or LSATs or for the chartered financial analyst, the the CPA, or you're learning just because, yep, you're starting a new position or a new project or client. There are many times, of course, where learning has to happen and, and faster would be better. So could you open us up by sharing a little bit about what are some best practices for when I'm trying to get knowledge inside me quickly and effectively, what are some key things I need to be doing?
1: So the learning process really consists of a few key steps. First is that you need to notice the information that is about to enter your brain system. So that's where focus comes to play. So that focus on it. The second part is once it enters the system, it is stored in this immediate memory. So it's got to go into sort of working memory. So it goes into working memory. But working memory is is very short-lived and it's got limited capacity. So the next step for you is to shift it from the working memory into the long-term storage. And once it is in the long term storage, it's there. So the process from shifting from the working memory to long term memory It really boils down to repetition, so a number of repetitions over time. And you also, in order to actually remember it, you need to tag the information. So like you put anything in storage, you need to know where you put it. You need to know which shelf you put it on. You you tag it in a certain way. So when you come to retrieve it, you, you, you know which tags or which shelves you are to look for. So this is how the learning process works. You've got to notice it, you've got to code it, and you've got to store it in long-term memory. And the process of storage is that the repetition is space. So what we know is that within the 24 hours, we'll forget about 80% of what we've learned. Hmm. So in order to remember, within those 24 hours, 40, 24, 48 hours, we'll need to Repeat what we've learned so that the memory is boosted. And the next step is to repeat it again within the 10 days, two weeks time. And then the next repetition would need to happen within 30, 60 days. And that's pretty much the process of learning done.
0: Okay, and so when you say repeat it, now are you saying literally, you know, say the words loud or just sort of any kind of additional exposure?
1: I said repeat it, but it's actually relearn. It depends on what you're learning. If you're learning a new word because you're learning a new language, it will be repeating the word. It will be repeating the sound, but also maybe the spelling, the meaning. But it can be anything that actually uses the piece of knowledge. So it could be that you use that new word in a sentence. Or if you're learning a process, then use that process. So if in any way you use this piece of information by repeating it, using it in a context or in any other way that counts as a repetition.
0: Okay, I understand it. So so I'm hearing I got my initial exposure and then I'm looking for one repetition in the twenty four to forty eight hours and then another in the ten to fourteen days. And then again in the 30 to 60 days. And so are you saying just one repetition within those time frames is a sufficient dose or do you, okay, multiple times within those windows?
1: It would depend on a little bit on the context, but generally it's a repetition, but it's got to be the correct repetition. So assuming that you've got it right. So if you're repeating the word and for whatever reason you got something wrong, whether it's the pronunciation, the stress or the meaning, then you've got to repeat it until you get it right. Um the algorithm is actually a, a trade secret. So what I've noticed myself, it's my own observation from learning languages using the space repetition software. It's the correct repetition that counts. And if you get it wrong on your first repetition, then you go back to square one. So you've got to repeat this word correctly within those 24, 48 hours. And once you get it right, then the period extends to the next repetition.
0: And so you're thinking one correct repetition uh, within these windows conscientiously can can get it locked in.
1: For a period of time.
0: Oh, tell me more.
1: You get it. So the first repetition would get it locked in for a period of time. So in order for this to last, you've got to refresh your memory as, and ensure that you get it right the next time round and right the next time round. And then you've got for after two, three, four repetitions, you've got it more or less locked into your memory.
0: So the first step was ensuring that your attention is, is on something. And so I know you've done some great work in terms of your, your how to focus module and your laser sharp focus book. So how do you get that focus in the first place so that you are making good repetitions?
1: So first of all, you need to be aware of that without a good focus. It's really hard to learn or actually do anything intellectually so, that awareness is the, the really first step or the prerequisite. And the first step to get your focus right is to realize what actually is wrong with your focus. And this is what I get really passionate. This is what I get really passionate about because there's lots of advice out there how to improve your concentration, how to improve your focus. But actually, people don't talk about the importance of, of discovering what the real problem is. So, instead of just trying one solution after another or giving people just blanket advice, just stop and invest time and energy into exploring what the real underlying problem with your focus is. And I say it's a really worthy investment because the better you understand what is wrong with your focus, the more likely you are to apply a solution that will actually work for you and your very specific situation.
0: Okay, and so could you share like what are some common culprits of you know focus robbing that different people discover when they take the time to do this audit
1: many people who've done the audit that i recommend really discover that even the fact that they paid attention to when they lose focus just doing the audit improved their focus but really the most common culprits are the technology so mm-hmm. little things like the notifications that pop up on your screen whether that's your laptop, your computer, your phone. It's also the noise in the background. Very often there'll be things like snippets of conversations, so the open plan office. Our brain is wired to tune into conversations to make sense of them because, you know, evolutionary. It's a am I in danger for for any other reason? Is there any other opportunities for food or sex out there? So snippets of conversations are, really bad for our focus the same thing is with music and music with lyrics because our brain will try to make sense of it again but also little things like people coming and going Uh, sometimes it might be the conversations that come through the open window or open door environment that is very distracting so one of my favorite examples is how important it is to have an ergonomic workstation And when I was a medical student, for my first two years, I used to really spend a lot of time studying, basically cramming, um, staying up long, late at night, pulling all-nighters. And my grades weren't that great. And I was really disappointed with myself. And what I would do is I would lie on the bed or on the sofa and and try to read these big, fat medical textbooks. And I would... Doze on and off. I would fall asleep. I would wake up, try to study again, and, and all that. And one day I was so frustrated with that. I just said, I've got this assignment I need to complete for tomorrow, but I just can't do it right now. I'm going to go to bed early tonight, and I'm going to wake up early tomorrow, and I'm going to do that assignment tomorrow. So I went to bed and I woke up early. I Organized myself on my desk and I just did that assignment. I was just really, really surprised. It was so easy, so straightforward. I had, I had time to complete the assignment, I had time to have my coffee, I had time to have my breakfast. I was really, I felt really energetic. I felt quite accomplished. And now looking back, what I did was is my productivity skyrocketed literally overnight because I shifted from this very unergonomic space. When where I was actually in bed, so beds and sofas are not made for working or studying. Mm. To desk, which is made for studying and, and, and work. So even having looking at your workspace, whether that's really ergonomic, are you doing it at a table or a desk? Do you have enough light? Is your chair comfortable? Do you have everything you need within reach or is your desk really cluttered? So these are little things that can make a lot of difference to your productivity at work.
0: Oh, yes. Well, now, since you're talking about desks, I got to get your take on this. I have been eyeing this beautiful sit to stand desk situation. Can you share with me any perspectives, research data, anecdotes about standing desks or sit to standing desks and the benefits of them?
1: I'm going to quote one of my favorite books, Brain Rules by John Medina. Our brain evolved to solving survival problems in an outdoor environment and doing it in nearly constant motion. So it's really hard. If you're sitting at the desk, you're sitting, you're mostly immobile. But if you're standing, you've got a little room to move, and you can actually move if you want. And I've heard of people who work at desks and work out. Uh, they've got treadmills, and and they run or walk and work. And I actually am a, a strong believer in that. My brain works best when I I'm moving. And I would often, when I've got a really tough problem to crack, I would often go for a walk, or I would take it to think it through during one of my regular runs. So from that point of view, I think the standing this might actually be a good idea, although I haven't read any specific research on that.
0: Okay, well, well, thank you. And so now I'd love to hear when it comes to your focus and bringing your attention sharp. If folks say that the average attention span is about 10 minutes, can you tell us what does that even mean exactly? Attention span. And what are some means for getting some improvement about that in the long term, sort of week after week and month after month, we can address the distractions and the technology, but is there any kind of internal skill that we can build and develop in that zone?
1: Definitely can be built and developed. So that 10 minutes, it's what generally most of us would naturally have. And that's a sort of attention, that's sort of easy attention. Beyond that 10 minutes span, you would need to put a little bit more effort into actually staying focused, and the main thing that helps us extend that period beyond those ten minutes is interest. So, if you're interested in whatever you're reading or whatever you're doing, sure you you want to stay involved. So, it's going to be definitely more than ten minutes. But if if you're not, you're going to struggle.
0: Uh huh. Well, so any any key tips then for? igniting some extra interest, maybe even if you're not naturally interested?
1: The key thing will be to add emotions to your work or your your learning if you're reading. And there's a variety of things you could do. It would depend on really what lights your fire, what you find fun, or also what the task involves. So if you're reading a long report and it's a long piece of text that's really boring, you might want to Brighten it a little bit with colors, so uh, you can, although highlighting doesn't really help, but you you might want to use colorful uh, pens to write notes or even draw on the margins as you're reading to create your notes if you like colors. But if you like, for example, for me what helps me if I'm reading something long or need to study for a long period of time, I like to move. So I would even move from one place to another. And that creates that interest and keeps me involved in it. But most often people would use things such as music. I would recommend no lyrics, as I said earlier. But music, it's something that can evoke and can help you evoke emotions. And it doesn't really matter so much whether they're positive emotions or negative emotions. What really matters is getting in that sweet spot that creates that emotional arousal, but not too much. So you, you're you not overwhelmed by the emotion that's there, but it's just enough to keep you a little bit up there, interested and excited about what you're doing. So you can use music. You can use um, various smells. People can use if you into lovely smells, aromatherapy, you can use aromatherapy. Many people use food, and unfortunately, I'm one of them. So if I've got something really hard to go through, whether it's a really long uh, document to read or something really hard to prepare, I would use food to keep myself sort of interested and extend that attention span. It can be a nice hot drink, so something that will keep you a little bit more excited about, not necessarily even ideally, it will be um, the task, but it might be anything that can even invoke that feeling in you. And that could help you extend the the attention span.
0: Okay, certainly. And and so now I want to get your take. We talk about uh, focus and, and learning. I've got to know, what's your take on speed reading?
1: I've read a few studies and There's been some studies that came out recently that actually dispelled the myth of speed reading. Mm. For me, the speed reading, the way it is presented, it doesn't make sense. But there are other ways in which you can speed the process of reading. For example, reading a book or reading a textbook. And definitely these, there are strategies that have scientific Premise: There are strategies that have been proven to work. So, in a way, it's not the speed reading that understood as speed reading, but there are strategies uh, that can help you speed up the process of reading.
0: Oh, interesting. So you're saying there's not some magical switch you can pull so it's like I'm now speeding through these pages, but there are some strategies in terms of how you approach the text. And your game plan, that will mean you are sort of absorbing more of the content per minute. Yes. And so what are some of those strategies?
1: So one of those is what's called active pre-reading. So before you even get to read the text that you want to read, you learn something about it. And it might be something that's connected somehow to the topic the text is on. But for me, what I do... I look at the table of contents. And mm-hmm. sometimes that's just, if I, I look at the table of contents and go through the chapters and then um, sections and chapters or um, headlines, subheadlines, and that's very often enough for me to have a really decent understanding of what the text is about, and I'm already probably 30% on the way. So active pre-reading, but then what I do is I create um it helps me create like a scaffolding on which then I hang the pieces of knowledge. So it's that general knowledge. What's that going to be about? How it's organized and um, certain key, there might be some certain key terms, certain key concepts that are already there in the table of contents. And when I'm reading or when I'm going through the text, I just hang on those details onto that scaffolding that i created going through the table of contents.
0: And so could you give an example of of scaffolding you might create and how that connects to something new that you're picking up?
1: So usually when you you take a textbook and the knowledge in the textbook is usually organized in a specific way. So first of all, it explains the key concepts and then it goes from top to bottom. So the it might be the general terms and then there are three subtypes of something. And then if there's a subtype of something, it shows how it, Works and how this can be practically applied. So, this way, I already gather some knowledge about the topic and the key concepts and how they are connected. And if you remember what I said earlier on about the learning process, so the learning process is the the process of transferring the piece of knowledge, piece of information from that working memory into the long term storage. And there are two processes that happen there one is the space repetition, but the other is how you actually label those piece of information, how you tag it, how this piece of information actually starts connecting with what you already got in the storage. And when I go through the table of context, I already start creating those connections. So how this piece of knowledge is connected within that um, wider Machinery, or what are the key elements of this piece of knowledge, and how they interact with one another? So that already helps me create the connections between various bits and pieces of what I'm, t- what I am about to learn, not yet learning. Oh, I already re- learning, but not reading yet about it.
0: Okay, thank you. And so I also got a kick out of you described yourself as a master procrastinator. Tell us a little bit about what that means, and then what you've done to improve and sort of best practices that you'd share for those who have a procrastination issue.
1: I am no longer a master procrastinator, but I used to Congratulations. Thank you. But I am still by nature and I actually have a very short attention span. I don't have ADHD or anything like that. But I actually have a very low threshold for boredom. And that really gets in the way of me doing anything for prolonged periods of time. I'm also someone who is on the constant seek for, for excitement. So that makes me looking for something more exciting. So that's me by nature. But what I have created, I've created a number of systems that actually keep me focused on what I want to be focused on. These are usually external si- systems. So I've created changes. I've changed my environment. I set up my environment in a way that I sit down and I just get on with my work. So I can't procrastinate or I can't, distract myself with this, that, or the other.
0: All right. So that's one thing. And what else? So
1: the key thing, actually, I need to take a step back because the key thing I did when I um, decided to address my procrastination problems was to understand what it was about. And I discovered that I procrastinate as the main reason why I procrastinate is because I feel overwhelmed by the size of the task. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit of a short distance runner. And I need to see the end inside. But if I can't see the end inside, i become quite overwhelmed. So what I started doing is if I've got a long distance task to complete, for example, writing a book, it's a really long process. So I, what I do is I break it down into manageable chunks from the beginning. And I also, what I do is I prepare my workspace in such a way that in the evening, it's already for my next step. So when I get up in the morning, I'm already on the way because I've prepared what I need to do. For example, I might have the the software I'm going to use for writing already open and it's open on the page that I need to work on. And very often I would start in the evening and even if I just do a couple of lines and then then I mark, this is what I finished, I need to carry on from this point onwards, I'm already on the way. So that makes me feel, oh, okay, I'm already on the way and I only have this little bit to do today and I can see the end inside. So this is another system I built to Overcome my natural tendency to procrastinate when I'm overwhelmed by the size of the task.
0: Okay, thank you. Well, also, you tell me: is there anything else you want to make sure that we cover off here before we shift gears into talking about your fast faves?
1: What I really wanted to to make sure that your audience understands is that there is no one size fits all, and don't use blanket advice you find out there. Really invest time and energy into exploring what your problem what your focus problem is and once you understand what it is make sure that you know this is a pattern rather than one off and then decide if you want to work on it and very often the little tip is the fastest way to improve your focus is to fix your environment particularly I'm talking about Things such as technology, things such as notifications, just can you turn any notifications off? Can you carve chunks of time when you're working in a situation when you've got your phone silent, no notifications, or maybe you're working wearing noise cancelling headphones? So look at your environment first, see what you can tweak there and see what the result is.
0: All right. Thank you. So now could you start us off by sharing a favorite quote?
1: So my favorite quote is actually probably the one I've, uh, I've already quoted. That our brain evolved to solve survival problems in an outdoor environment and to do so in a, in a constantly, in a nearly constant move. And that's a quote from John Medina's book, Brain Rules.
0: All right. And how about a favorite a study or experiment or a piece of research?
1: So I've, I've had a number of them. Probably depends on what I'm working on at the moment. So at the moment, I'm I'm going uh, back and forth uh, to the key study on willpower because I'm working on my own willpower, on my own self-discipline. And the key study on willpower is the famous marshmallow experiment. Mm-hmm. So that's the one I'm very much focused on right now.
0: Oh, yes, that is so so fascinating. I was talking about that today with the, the children and their, whether they can resist Getting the Marshmallow Now in order to get more later.
1: Later, uh, yes.
0: That's cool. And, and how about a favorite book?
1: Again, depends on the stage of what I'm, of what I'm working on. The, most recently, the key books for me have been Getting Things Done by oh, yeah. David Allen. Episode
0: 15, <laughs> David Allen. I love a- excellent him.
1: Episode of, yes, I love him too. Brain Rules by John Medina as well, which I believe saved my life a couple of years ago. And more recently, I've read Shane Snow's book, Smart Cuts, which I'm really fascinated by the term smart cuts. And this is something when we first started off talking about Shapeshifters Club, that's what I wanted the Shapeshifters Club to be about, to find smart cuts for people to accelerate the learning and accelerate the personal change.
0: Mm, beautiful. Thank you. And how about a, a favorite tool, something that you use often that's helpful?
1: I am a pen and paper girl. So that's my favorite tool, a pen and a piece of paper.
0: Oh, beautiful. And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours?
1: I, thinking back, I think the most, the key habit, the keystone habit for me is my morning routine, which was born back then many years ago when I first started to get up early in the morning and study at my desk. So I still continue with that morning routine. Some of the elements have changed, but I still get up five o'clock in the morning and I start the day by doing the same things. And that's enabled me not only to learn a lot, become more productive, but also to look forward to every day because this is my favorite time of the day.
0: And how about a favorite sort of key nugget, something that you share that seems to really resonate with folks?
1: What I've already said about there's no one size fits all and something that might have worked for, you know, 99% of population might not work for you. And if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't mean there is something wrong with you. It's just this piece of advice, this little strategy is not suitable for you. Go and find something else.
0: All right. And what would you say is the best place to find you if folks want to learn more and see what you're up to?
1: So it's definitely my website, www.shapeshiftersclub.com. You can also find me on Quora. That's my favorite procrastination Mm. (laughs) poison. That's my favorite website.
0: What's your Quora uh, handle?
1: It's Joanna, Just one
0: Okay, very good. And do you have a, a favorite challenge or, or parting call to action you leave folks with who are seeking to be more awesome at their jobs?
1: So my favorite call to action would be really look at your environment. Look what's there, what you can easily change that can really increase your productivity, improve your focus. And best that this could happen immediately because then you've got that sense of achievement and you've got the sense that you, you actually have done something to improve your productivity or improve yourself.
0: Okay. Thank you. Well, Joanna, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for sharing your goods here and I wish you lots of luck and have a good one.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Peter. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, I hope that you have made some sort of a resolution to eliminate some kind of a distraction in your world, whether it's a notification or a beep or a buzz, whatever it takes to get that extra dose of focus in your environment. So, once again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcripts, the links to items mentioned, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com/slash-f67. And do push the subscribe button, please, if you haven't already, because you're probably not going to want to miss our next guest. If you like sports, I don't know if you're like me. You just can't wait to follow your favorite ball squadron and the next athletic contest at the local arena. It's true. I've never really became a fan of watching sports. I don't know. It's like something's missing in me and I feel like I'm missing out sometimes in terms of fun camaraderie and people and stuff. And and even William Poundstone in episode 39 said those who have strong sports knowledge, uh, that correlates to all sorts of, of other things, uh, which is kind of interesting. You might check that out. But our next guest will be a treat for sports fans. It's Molly Fletcher. She has worked as an agent uh, representing many prominent athletes and she has distilled a lesson or two about these high-achieving, high-performing type folks. So even if you don't like sports and you're kind of clueless about that like I am, you'll still get some great insights from her. So hit the subscribe button if you would so you don't miss from her and any of the other guests. And peace.